Hello, welcome to our podcast series, Beyond the Diagnosis, focusing on embracing life after cancer through Sanford Health survivorship programs. I'm your host, Courtney Collin with Sanford Health News. We're so glad you're here. Once a patient hears those words, you have cancer, that patient becomes a survivor. Through my conversations with health providers on topics related to survivorship, we're learning more about how Sanford continues its commitment to help people live their best life beyond the diagnosis. Today, I am talking with Reverend Sarah Schwartz, a cancer survivorship program coordinator in Bismarck, North Dakota, and she is an ordained pastor. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Courtney. Talk about your role as a program coordinator and more about what you do in Bismarck. This opportunity came up to be the survivorship program coordinator last August. I, uh, I jumped into this position. It has been a delight and a privilege to be a part of this program. So as the survivorship program has kind of evolved over the last um, eight months or so, we've been adding programs to the the supports that we're offering to our survivors. Uh, one of the things that, I, that really attracted me to this program is the focus on whole person care. So it's not, it's not just the medical side of things, but it's the emotional, the spiritual, um, the social well-being of of our patients. And so, um, so we offer programs that um, that really pertain to that. And my my job as a coordinator is to kind of pull all those pieces together and and um, make sure we have equipped leaders in place to, to make it happen. Our topic today is, is all about supporting the caregiver and, and you have some personal experience having been a caregiver more than once. So talk about that experience and perhaps how that might have enabled you to support others through the work that you do. I do have a couple of experiences being a caregiver. The first experience I had was as a caregiver, um, and it's kind of hard to think about me as a caregiver in that in that time frame. But um, as I look back, I was. So I was a, a teenager actually, and my dad had been diagnosed with a very aggressive brain tumor. Oh wow! Um, my mom, of course, then became his primary caregiver, and so um, for almost two years, we we kind of. Um, navigated that. I was the oldest of three children and so took on some caregiving responsibility for my younger siblings at the time, but also um, did some caregiving for my dad as as he as his health was failing, um, but really watched my mom do a lot of that caregiving and and the stress mm. um, the stress that that it was for her. Um, and and it gave me perspective that. Like this is something we do for our loved ones because we love them, um, but it's also very hard. Um, and then mm-hmm. just this last fall, my husband was critically ill. Um, it was sort of a like just dipping your foot in the pool of caregiving, I think, as far as uh, caregiving goes, because it was an acute illness, and so he's mostly recovered, and um, and most of my caregiving for that is done, um, but. It was um, it was really eye opening to how stressful mm. being a caregiver is. Yeah, and probably has enabled you to to really relate to caregivers that you work with and help support and encourage. Is that right? Definitely, because I get, I get it. It's one thing just to to be empathic and say, "Well, I 
you know, I can attempt to understand, I kind of understand, I can visualize, you know, what you're going through, but it's a whole nother thing to say, I've actually been there mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I've survived it and, and you can too. I'm so happy to hear that your husband is doing well. Me too. Gosh, <laughs> what a challenging time that must have been for your family, my goodness. I love what former First Lady Rosalind Carter once said, and you reminded me of that recently. There are only four kinds of people in the world, those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. Sarah, let's talk about why this concept of the caregiver is so, so important. My experience both in chaplaincy and in the church as a pastor, um, and, and then personally watching my mom, especially as a caregiver and then being the caregiver, um, the caregiver is is vital like the caregiver helps um, helps the patient hear what the the providers are saying um, the caregiver advocates for the patient mm -hmm. um, the caregiver makes sure that the patient has what they need at home to live well or to be you know wherever the the patient is living that the caregiver is there like advocating um, and hearing and yeah. and caring for the patient just on that unconditional love and sometimes it's hard because sometimes the patients, our, our loved ones, um, they don't always appreciate it, or they don't always see what we're what we're what we're giving up to care for them. Sure, because that caregiver, uh, I think, is a vital part of the healthcare team. And it's somebody that that patient knows and trusts, and that's that's important too, right? Absolutely, you are that trusted source. You are that trusted go-to. Define what a caregiver is. Just off the cuff, a caregiver is someone who walks alongside the patient um, and advocates for them and um, takes care of them and um, helps them to live life well. Is it common for caregivers to feel overwhelmed, exhausted at times? There are some moments I'm sure that are tougher than others, but from your experience working with caregivers and being a caregiver yourself, I think that's one of the reasons why I got into into chaplaincy and into caregiver support um, training and um, and into the survivorship program is because I really want to encourage people and caregivers that you're not alone. Um, there are other people going through things just like you um, or very similar that they can actually relate to what you're going through. And yes, this is a challenging role. You will get through this and you'll be stronger on the other side. And then uh, to encourage people too that you are doing a good job caregiving and advocating for your loved one. And then it's easy to forget too as a caregiver, it's so easy to forget to take care of ourselves. Um, we get bogged down with all of the obligations and all of the things that we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, often caregivers also have work obligations. They're just stretched thin and it's easy to, to let our cup um, empty out. Um, but it's really important because you can't give from an empty cup. It's really important to do those things to take care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of your loved one well. Yeah, that encouragement I can only imagine is is so important. You've outlined some caregiver tools that have become 
invaluable to somebody who is caring for a loved one or a friend who has been diagnosed with cancer specifically. Let's walk through some of those if we can. Yeah, so the first one, um, the first one is really an action plan. And this is, this is like a way of setting goals. And so um, because it is so easy to become wrapped up in caring for our loved one, uh, that we really forget to take care of ourselves. So an action plan is an intentional way to really make sure that we're refilling our cup. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that thinking about what is something that's really important to me? What, what do I enjoy doing? What fills my cup? And then making a time, an action plan to do that thing. So, you know, people have told me gardening, they love gardening or walking or journaling. Uh, maybe it's coloring or going out to a movie or for supper. Um, maybe it's cooking or baking or doing some cardio or strength exercises. But it's figuring out what is, what is it that brings you joy? What is it that will give you strength to meet tomorrow's challenges? Um, that you, something that you can do today. And so it's keeping in mind that self-care is not selfish. This is important so that you can continue to give good care to your loved one. Yeah. There are really um, four parts to a good action plan. That what? What are you going to do? Um, that gardening, walking, journaling, whatever. What are you going to do? How much are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? So what time of the day, what days of the week? How often are you going to do it? So a good example would be um, this week, I will read my favorite book, so that's the what, for a half an hour, that's how much, in the mid-afternoon when my spouse sleeps. Three times, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So the when and the how often. So this week I'll read my favorite book for a half hour in the mid-afternoon when my spouse sleeps. Three times, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it doesn't have to be a lot. Um, It can be something, again, as simple as reading a book or coloring or going for a walk outside. But you're naming what you're going to do when you're going to do it and how often you're going to do it. And then you then you commit to doing it. And you when you follow through with that, you can feel good because now you've met your goal. Yeah. And you've filled your cup. So you have more mm-hmm. to give. Then another tool that people can kind of tuck in their tool belt would be um, recognizing what you can and cannot control. Because anytime we're dealing with other people, um, anytime we're dealing with illness, whether it's acute or chronic, there are things that we can and things that we cannot control. And I once heard um, someone say that life is you know, 80% how we respond to outside actions and 20% our own choices. So learning what we can control and managing our responses to those things outside of our control really becomes vital to our well-being. Regardless of whether we can control a situation or not, we can control how we respond to it. We can't control the demands our care receiver is making. So if they're, you know, mm-hmm. actually I heard this one the other day from a patient. Um, her, she's caring for her dad, and she said he um, he was grumpy about the way I was making coffee. He said my husband makes it better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. We can't control how he responds to the coffee we've made but we can control how we respond to hi- to him, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's managing our own responses. So um, think about a couple of things that might be a stressor for you, and then think, um, reflect on, is this stressor something that you can ignore or let go? Is there anything you can change about this stressor? If yes, what can you change? If it cannot be changed, 
can you change your perception of it? If so, how? Mm-hmm. And what would a more helpful perception be? So I kind of, I like to talk about flipping the script. So how can we flip the script so that this isn't, this isn't a stressor anymore? On those things that, things that it can be that we can control. Another tool in our tool belt is gratitude. And I remember um, the first time I heard the phrase, be grateful and have faith, my personal life was pretty mucky. Uh, but this motivational speaker duel convinced me to try giving gratitude a try. I discovered that it's pretty incredible how finding those little things that we're grateful for, even when life feels overwhelming, even in the muck, being grateful can make just a very big difference. Yeah. And now since that first encounter with those teachings on gratitude, I've come across actually a couple of different studies that prove that gratitude, um, expressing gratitude, especially in writing, can really improve your overall psychological strength and well-being. Mm-hmm. It can improve your working memory. It can improve your sleep and your immune system function. And it can improve your relationships. And it helps give you capacity to cope with difficulties of caregiving and other emotional challenges. Essentially, expressing gratitude helps us flip the scripts running through our mind from stressors to joys. Um, and research has also shown that increased levels of, ha- that when we're expressing this gratitude every day, it can increase our levels of happiness and decrease our levels of depression. Um, when we write those um, things that we're grateful for, when we write down at least three of them every day. And with gratitude, you want to be specific. So you don't want to, you, you don't want to just be like, oh, I'm thankful for my neighbor. You would want to say something like, I'm thankful that my neighbor came and shoveled off my driveway today. Um, or I'm, you know, I'm thankful that my church brought supper, you know, be, be mm-hmm. specific and be intentional about in those things that you're grateful for. Yeah, love that. And then the last tool that I'd want to talk through today would be um, relaxation or meditation. Um, deep breathing exercises and meditating are really just quieting the mind and the body so that we can better hear what's happening in our body, so we can better hear our body's inner wisdom. It can help relieve some of the stress of caregiving. Uh, people who use these relaxation techniques often talk about feeling that the, that the stress is leaving their body. And really these exercises can be done in as few as five minutes. I actually brought a quick one with we can work through it, this breathing for relaxation uh, technique today. There's just four steps. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. The first step is to close your eyes. And if that is impossible, quietly become aware of your breathing. Inhale to the count of seven, slowly and deeply. Exhale to the count of seven, slowly and deeply. And exhaling is letting go. And then repeat this without forcing your breathing in any way. If your mind becomes distracted, refocus on your breathing. So inhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then really just continue on doing this for one or two minutes or longer if you'd like. And really notice your body is simply relaxing. 
and letting go of the stressors as you continue with that deep breathing. The power of meditation is incredible. That breathing for relaxation is something that we we actually teach our our survivors, our, our cancer patients. And um, and so now now with our powerful tools for caregivers workshop, we're actually teaching the caregivers these techniques as well. Thank you. So let's talk about caregiver support groups. When you talk about events for survivors or for caregivers, when we talk about supporting the caregiver, how might someone find a group or an event? So through Sanford, um, you would want to just give our survivorship department a phone call to find out when our next workshop will be. Powerful Tools for Caregivers is a workshop um, designed really to equip caregivers to uh, manage the stress to take care of themselves, um, to communicate effectively with their loved one and with the healthcare team, and really to reduce their stress overall um, as a as a way of taking care of themselves. And it builds some community mm-hmm. um, in it in that it connects them with other caregivers who are going through similar things. Um, so they're realizing that those things that we talked about at the beginning. They're not alone. They are doing a good job. Um, and this doesn't have to be overwhelming anymore. The feeling of connection and community is so, so powerful. Um, you know, knowing that you're not alone as you care for somebody else, be it a friend or a loved one. What are some ways that caregivers can find community where they are? Um, and we had just talked about a couple of those workshops available and support groups for caregivers. But again, how important is it to foster relationships with others who are on a similar journey? As I think back to some of the families I've worked with and, and my own experiences, it is, it is really important to hear from other caregivers that, you know, you're not alone. There, there are other people going through similar situations and other people experiencing the same stressors that you're experiencing and, and people who've who've made it to the other side of that caregiving experience and, and can breathe life into you. Um, but as far as community goes, yes, it's important to connect with other caregivers and our, our workshop is a great way to do that. Um, but really just building that community that, that will support you and walk with you through this, whether that be your faith community, whether that be um, the folks at the senior center, whether that be you know whatever club you might be a part of or a book club that you've been going to for 20 years, you know wherever the, that place is that you find community, um, the, those are the folks to really lean into as you're going through your caregiver experience. Um, many times they'll walk with you through that. If you're finding that you're not getting that support that you need from those groups that you're already connected to, definitely reach out. And we'll help you get connected to um, we'll help you get connected to that community that can walk with you. Wonderful. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about taking on this role or continuing as a caregiver? Or you know, really, that's just it. It's you're doing a good job. You too are worthy of care and respect and love, and it's important for you to, in your busy week to carve out that time to take care of yourself. You're worth it, and it will help you be a better caregiver. You're already doing a good job. This will help you do better. What a great way to to wrap things up. Reverend Sarah Schwartz, I really appreciate your time and your insight into uh, the Cancer Survivorship Program up in Bismarck and, and all that you do. We really, really appreciate 
uh, the support that you provide. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor to be a part of this work. This was another episode of our Cancer Survivorship Series Beyond the Diagnosis. I'm your host, Courtney Collin. Stay well. We'll see you soon.